Okay. So the chapter we'll talk about, it, you know, these you had asked about those incantations that yes. I had done at the hospital for you and that I've done occasionally. Uh, and it's something that I do all the time at the temple and after in, 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 during every service at the temple as well. And they're called Dharanis. And it actually is a one whole chapter in the Lotus Sutra. And I think... Um, since you're new to the Lotus Sutra, I'd like to do a little bit of preparatory work okay, on good. the Lotus Sutra. So th this is a copy of the Lotus Sutra, okay. and uh, this is the copy that we um, uh, use in Nichiren Shu that we refer to uh, first, and this is um, uh, uh, the Murano translation. I brought with me uh, three other translations, and I ha and there are two others that I didn't bring because they weren't as um, as appropriate or as um, revealing as these when we get to the Durrani chapter. So the Lotus Sutra is, um, we believe, well it's this, uh, if you divide the Buddha's teachings into stages, different stages, um, the Lotus Sutra is the, um, the last uh, phase of the Buddha's lifetime. Uh, after the Lotus Sutra, which he taught for eight years, came the Nirvana Sutra. And uh, immediately after the Lotus Sutra, as, as part of the Lotus Sutra, it's often um, uh, considered together, is, um, is the, the Sutra of Contemplation of the Dharma practice of universal sage bodhisattva. I can never remember that by, by heart. So, so considered in the Lotus era, the Lotus Sutra era, or time of the Buddha's teaching period, there would be the Muryogi Kyo, or the Sutra of Innumerable Meanings, the Lotus Sutra, and then this uh, contemplation of universal, contemplation of Dharma practice of universal sage bodhisattva. Those are all generally lumped together as the threefold Lotus Sutra or three-part Lotus Sutra. Then after that, the final teaching of the Buddha's life was the Nirvana Sutra. And, uh, and that of that whole period, the Lotus, this 28-chapter Lotus Sutra is considered the penultimate of all the teachings in that era as well as the summation and penultimate of all the teachings of all the Buddha's previous teachings. One of the reasons for saying that is because all of the Buddha's previous teachings are in one form or another represented and contained within the Lotus Sutra. So the Lotus Sutra begins by, in a sense, summing up and uh, referring back to everything that he had taught before. And then, beginning in chapter 2 of the Lotus Sutra, the Buddha begins to reveal something new that he had never revealed before. So we have not only the um, inclusion of everything previous to the Lotus Sutra, but we also have the addition of something new. And um, so... The beginning of the Lotus Sutra, you know, as I said, the, there's the Sutra of Innumerable Meanings, which the Buddha taught before, right before the Lotus Sutra, um, moments before the Lotus Sutra. 
And at the end of the Sutra of Innumerable Meanings, the Buddha goes into samadhi, deep meditation. While he's in samadhi, chapter one begins in the Lotus Sutra. Because chapter one begins with the description of all the assembled beings. And this collection of people that's assembled at the beginning of the Lotus Sutra is, one of, is the largest assembly um, that's recorded of all the Buddha's teachings. So that's another indication to people who come after the Buddha that this is pretty, pretty darn important because there are more people here listening to this than the descriptions of people in any of the other previous sutras. So the, the, the Lotus Sutra begins with the Buddha in Samadhi, deep meditation. And while he's in this deep meditation, um, the, the earth begins to shake or quake, and a beam of light is emitted from the Buddha's, um, from the Buddha's forehead. And these, these uh, phenomena uh, caused the folks in the congregation to wonder what the heck is going on. So they go ask, um, they go ask uh, Maitreya, or is it Manjushri? I always uh, get confused. Um, I always rem I don't have a great memory, so that's why I have to I use the books. Um, so um, let's see. Manjushri. They went. He went to Manjushri, and Maitri went to Manjushri and uh, asked, "What the heck is going on? You've been with the Buddha. You've been." lots of other places, you've, maybe you've seen these kinds of things before. And so Manjushri says, uh, yes I have, and in fact in the past when these kinds of things have gone on, the Buddha at that time began to preach the Lotus Sutra, a really great, great teaching. So then, uh, and I won't go into everything, but I just kind of want to explain how this starts. Then we come to chapter 2, and the Buddha actually begins to start speaking in chapter 2. And um, so chapter 2 begins with um, the phrase, the words, Thereupon the world-honored one arose from his samadhi and said to Shariputra, if I remember correctly, um, Yes, thereupon the world-honored one emerged quietly from his samadhi and said to Shariputra. And then he begins to speak. The significance of this may be lost to us if we don't consider um, how the Buddha taught previously to this. Uh, in all instances, the Buddha um, taught in response to a question except for the very first teaching, the Four Noble Truths. In all instances, the Buddha responded to questions that were asked of him. So it is said that the Buddha taught according to the minds of the people he was teaching to because he was responding to their questions. But the Lotus Sutra, without any question being asked, and this is not lost on the assembly, but to us later on, it's easy to overlook. But without being asked any question, 
the Buddha begins to speak and begins to teach the Lotus Sutra. So we say that the Lotus Sutra differs from the other teachings because it is of the Buddha's mind and not the mind of the, the, the audience or the listener or the questioner. And the kind of excitement or awe that this generates would be comparable to if you you know were playing the lottery and you had your lottery ticket this is the this is the way I always explain it is if you had your lottery ticket and you're watching them on the TV and they call the first number out and that matches a number on your ticket you're going to be okay yeah that's 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 great but you know um, it's not all that much but they call out the second number and it's you've got that on your ticket and you're going to be moving a little bit forward on your couch you know third number it's on your ticket they're going to be moving even further the fourth number the fourth number you're not likely to get up and go to the bathroom the fourth number and the fifth number you're not likely going to get up and go to the refrigerator and get something to drink the sixth number matches you're not going anywhere you know, you're just like this. And then the seventh number. Well, this is like that kind of anticipation. You know, if, you, if they called out five of the seven numbers and they all match you, um, you know, the level of excitement, the level of anticipation that you would feel would just be, I mean, you'd just be totally focused. And that's the kind of... Um, excitement or anticipation or intensity that that this this un uh, unasked for teaching generates within the audience so uh, the lotus sutra we generally divide into two there's many ways that we can divide this but but generally speaking the the most basic division is into two halves and we have the first half of the Lotus Sutra where the Buddha is preparing for the really big, big, big teaching um, that occurs in chapter 16. The Buddha um, in chapter 2 tells everybody that, okay, I have taught you um, the way of um, uh, Sravakas or the way of learners. I've taught you the way of contemplatives or meditatives, I've taught you the way of bodhisattvas, and I've taught you these, these different ways, and I've given you a goal of nirvana as the goal for those practices. And, and then in chapter 2 he says, what, I'm what, what, what that was is it was prepare preparing you for the ultimate teaching that there's not three ways and it's not about nirvana. It's about something beyond nirvana. And the three ways are just preparing you for the one single way. And he, he, he talks about a parable, and he, they give a parable in there uh, in chapter 3 about the different vehicles. So we talk about the three Buddha vehicles being uh, Shravaka or the learners, um, Pratyaka Buddha or the contemplatives, the meditatives, the self, 
the um, the 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 uh, private private practitioners or private Buddhists they're sometimes called, and then bodhisattvas, those people who just do good works. And what he says is that there's not three ways, uh, and it's not nirvana. It's about attaining the ultimate purpose for all Buddhas, pratya, um, the uh, anuttara samyak sambodai, which is the ultimate uh, form of enlightenment. And those three ways have to be combined into one Buddha vehicle. That as long as you're looking at just um, learning or just contemplation or just good works that you'll miss the point. You'll always come short. But when you combine those three and, and as into one single Buddha vehicle, that then we can advance to uh, Anuttara Samyak Sambodai as opposed to just Nirvana. Then many chapters go into, okay, we understand that you gave us nirvana and, and we thought that that was good and now we see that there's something better and we're ready to go for that. And so the, the, um, the Buddha talks about previous, uh, he talks about um, uh, predictions of future enlightenment. So he, talk, he tells the different classes of people, the different categories of people, the learners, the prajaka, the private Buddhas or contemplatives or the bodhisattvas, women, animals and plants. He, he talks about their enlightenment in various chapters through here. Then all of a sudden at this point this huge stupa arrives from another universe, another time, a, a, a time in the infinite past in an infinite part of the universe. And this represents the, 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 the uh, well, it represents a lot of things. It represents the eternity. It represents time and space being contained in this particular moment as well as in infinite. Um, but this, the appearance of this giant stupa or mausoleum uh, comes up and everybody in the congregation is mystified because this, this stupa is about half the, uh, the diameter of the earth in height, and it hovers above the ground. And uh, the people in the congregation are just in awe of this beautifully decorated um, stupa that's hovering above the ground, and they want to know what's the deal here. And so the Buddha says that whenever the Lotus Sutra is taught, there's a Buddha, there's the remains of a Buddha in there, the relics of a Buddha from the, from the far distant past. And he had made a vow that he would appear whenever the Lotus Sutra is taught to validate and to listen to this, this sutra being taught. So within this stupa, um, this loud voice um, booms out, excellent, excellent, what you Shakyamuni have taught is all true. So the people in the congregation, now this is really detailed, and we're, but, but I think it's important to understand what the Lotus Sutra is teaching us. Because the Dharanis really rely on the Lotus Sutra for their effectiveness. And that's the reason for the gift of the Dharanis, is for the Lotus Sutra. So this loud voice um, uh, uh, says, excellent, excellent, what you Shakyamuni have taught is all true. 
Everybody in the congregation is just like, wow, what's going on? This is a Steven Spielberg production. Um, you know, and so, um, so the, the people in the congregation, well, we want to see this Buddha. And so uh, Shakyamuni Buddha says, well, in order to do that, first I need to do some things. I need to call back all my emanations and purify the land. And so what does that mean, his emanations? And this is where we get into the different kinds of Buddhas that, that people have, like Medicine Buddha and uh, you know, Amida Buddha and all these other Buddhas that, that since in the last 3,000 years that these people have, have said, oh, well, this is a Buddha and this is a Buddha and this is a Buddha. And what the, what the Buddha is saying is that all of those are just reflections of parts of me. They're various aspects of me. And the way I like to explain it is um, for people that when they're, the way, I, the way I explain it is when we sit down to say meditate or do our morning or daily service, there's some things that we should be doing before we do that. And first off is to make sure that the, the area around our sacred space is clean and fresh, um, that we've got fresh offerings, fresh water or flowers or tea or fruit or whatever we put up there, that that's all fresh. And while we're doing that, especially at least for modern man, our tendency is to be thinking, okay, when I get done, I'm going to go shopping, or I've got to go off to work, or I've got to get dressed, or, um, you know, and when I'm out shopping, I need to remember to get, uh, f uh, you know, this for dinner, and, oh, yeah, and I've got an appointment at 3 o'clock with the hairdresser, or, you know, whatever, and, and I've got to pick up the kids and go play soccer, or, and so those are emanations of us. It's the soccer mom over here, the, the businessman over here, the, the housewife or house husband over here, and, you know, and we're all split. And, and we call that multitasking. But really, it's just little bits and pieces of us. It's, it's not our whole self. So what the Buddha is doing when he prepares and calls back his emanation, when he purifies the land and calls back his emanations, is he's bringing all these different aspects of himself into one present being so that we no longer are looking at Amida Buddha or Medicine Buddha or any of the other varieties of Buddhas that <laughs> 3,000 years hence we see as, oh, I like that Buddha, I'll practice to that Buddha. What the Buddha is saying is that is that they're all just reflections of me. They're just an aspect of me, of, of this, what he's going to reveal later on. Um, he's just kind of preparing everybody for, for actually what's going to come after this. So when we do our practice, our practice actually begins before we sit down to meditate. As we approach the sacred space, and prepare the sacred space, whether it be lighting the candles or lighting the incense, we should be calling back all of our little multitasking selves 
and focus right on that task. That calling back and cleaning up the area and preparing and purifying the area is also about purifying ourselves. It's also about centering ourselves. A lot of people think, well, when I actually, after I do all that and then I sit down on the mat and then I begin my service, I center myself, I, you know. But if we do that, we've missed the point that we're looking at this is my practice and this is getting ready for practice when really that's my practice. It begins at the very beginning. And so that's why it's important to, as we're preparing to begin our service or our meditation session, that we should be drawing ourselves into focusing on ourselves, centering ourselves, collecting ourselves, clearing ourselves, all of these kinds of terms, and making ourselves whole and one as we're cleaning up the altar. So the Buddha calls back all his emanations, then he purifies the land. And then he raises the congregation up. And there's a lot more detail in there, but I'm just going to give you a Reader's Digest version of it. Raises the congregation up into the air. And then he opens the door. And many treasures Buddha, who is this Buddha sitting in the stupa, invites Shakyamuni to sit beside him in the stupa. And so that's why in our denomination, we, we have the two Buddhas sitting side by side to represent the, the infinite past and with, with, with Tahoe Buddha, many treasures Buddha, the infinite past. And as we will learn in chapter 16, the, the Shakyamuni Buddha representing the infinite future as well as the past. So we have these two merging of concepts of time in, in all present in one space. We have the merging of the infinite universe, all present in this one space. So we've got the two Buddhas sitting side by side in the treasure tower, and then the congregations lifted up in the air. And our mandala, um, which this is an abbreviation of, and I'll take this off so that you can have a... Oh, wait. No, I've got... Where's my wallet? Um, so in... Yeah, this is better. This will be easier to see than the little thing around my neck. Um, we have, have a credit card. No, just kidding. So our mandala, and that's actually mandala, a representation of the mandala. Um, our mandala consists of the treasure tower, seven characters. So we've got, uh, let's see, Namu Myoho Renge Kyo. Okay, so Namu Myoho Renge Kyo. Okay, the, the Lotus Sutra title is Myoho Renge Kyo in uh, Sanskrit in Chinese, Myoho Renge Kyo, to which we append Namu. So this is how it's written out Myo, Myoho Renge Kyo. And um, that means the Sutra. The Myoho is Wonderful Dharma, Lotus Flower Sutra, and to which we append Namu. So we've got seven characters. The, the treasure tower is adorned with seven jewels. Namu Myoho Renge Kyo. So that's down the center here. Then to the left and to the right, these little mm -hmm. tiny, we've got Namu Shakamuni Butsu, 
and Namu Taho Butsu. Shakamuni Butsu is, uh, means Buddha. So we've got we've got devotion to Shakamuni Buddha, devotion to Taho Buddha, many treasures Buddha, the guy riding in the stupa. So we've got the stupa and the two Buddhas side by side. Then we've got the congregation. These characters here represent um, the main uh, uh, conditions of life that are represented by the thousands of people in this congregation. Um, we, in, in our analysis of the mind or psychology of the mind, we have what we call ten states or ten conditions of mind. And uh, I won't go into that here, we can go into it later, but they are represented in here. And so everybody uh, manifests these ten conditions. And so this is the, you know, our life. So we are part of that congregation, which we'll learn later. So we've got the treasure tower in the air and the two Buddhas side by side. And we've got the congregation down here on the mandala. And the congregation also includes the four heavenly kings. Okay, so we've got the four heavenly king, the four heavenly guardians on the, the corners here. Then um, uh, the Buddha from within the stupa, and this is the transition, one of the transition points in the, in the Lotus Sutra. The Buddha says, okay, I've, I've taught you the Lotus Sutra, and, and now I need to know who is going to expound this sutra? Who is going to practice and teach this sutra 2,000 years after I'm dead? So at that point, we learn that the Lotus Sutra isn't really being taught for the people present in the Buddha's lifetime so much as it's a teaching being taught for the future. Because the Buddha doesn't do this in other sutras. But the Buddha says, okay, who will teach this 2,000 years after I'm dead? And so various people in the congregation, he says, who will teach this sutra 2,000 years after I'm dead in the Saha world, in this world that we live in? So some people in the congregation say, well, we will, but not in this Saha world because it's going to be too hard. The people there are too screwed up. They're too evil. Um, and so we'll go someplace else in the universe and we'll teach it. And we said, no, I need somebody who's going to do it here in this Saha world. Well, then another group of people um, that were not from this world, from a, or not from this universe, said, well, we will, and we'll go to the Saha world and teach it. <coughs> and the Buddha denies them. And while it doesn't expi explicitly say this in the Lotus Sutra, sort of my take on that is, is that you're not from here. You know, it's sort of like, how did we treat E.T.? I mean, E.T. is just a movie. Mm -hmm. But that's how we would treat anybody that wasn't from this earth, you know. So the Buddha is saying that you're too foreign. You, you really wouldn't be able to relate to this, this Saha world. And so, thanks, but no thanks. And, he said, and then he said, sort of like he's setting them up. He says, well, never mind. Actually, I've got some other people <laughs> in my back pocket here that 
that um, uh, I think they'll do a better job. I think they'll. So at that point, the earth splits open, and up out of the earth arises these, these um, uh, as they're called, golden-hued bodhisattvas. They're, they're erect in stature. They just ooze goodness. Um, you know, they just radiate um, uh, confidence, they radiate goodness, they radiate just, you know, they're just awe-inspiring people. And so everybody's in the congregation is just, wow, who are these people? And the Buddha says, well, I've been teaching these people, and I've, I've prepared them for this. And the congregation says, wait a second. Some of the people in the congregation, wait a second, there have been people who've been with the Buddha for the past 40 years. We've been with you, Buddha, for 40 years, and we've never seen those people. What do you mean you taught those people? And so, out of, I, I kind of jumped ahead of myself. So, out of this congregation that arises, there's four leaders. And um, they are uh, bodhisattvas, four leaders of these bodhisattvas. And these bodhisattvas are called bodhisattvas from beneath the earth, or bodhisattvas of the earth, or bodhisattvas from underground. They go by a, different, a lot of different names, but it's the same concept. They come up out of the ground. So there are four leaders. There's Jogyo, Jogyo, Muhengyo, and Anrugyo. Uh, and of the leaders, and uh, I could tell you the names of what those means later, but, but there's, of the leaders... There's one Jogyo, and his name uh, means Bodhisattva Superior Practices. So of the four, there's one that is designated the leader. They appear on the mandala here and here and here, here and here. So mm -hmm. they're the next two out on each side. Uh, it says Namu um, uh, Jogyo Bodhisattva. Uh, Namu uh, Jogyo Bodhisattva spelled two different ways. Uh, Namu Anrugyo, I mean Jogyo Jogyo Muhengyo Anrugyo uh, Bodhisattva on the outside edges there. So I always I, I didn't point this out, but, but you know the Buddha talks about all these. You know before we get to this point in the story. All these people come to the Buddha, well, well, tell me about my future. Tell me about my, you know, prediction of uh, in a future lifetime I'm going to be enlightened. So the Buddha says, okay, you'll be enlightened and you'll be enlightened. And so all these people are wanting something from the Buddha. But when these bodhisattvas arise from the ground, they approach the Buddha and they ask the Buddha how he is doing. And for me, this is just so uh, important that... Their relationship with the Buddha is such that they have compassion and caring and concern for their teacher. Whereas prior to this, all the people that had approached the Buddha wanted something from the Buddha. So their relationship with the Buddha was pretty much one way. They, they viewed the Buddha not just as their teacher, but as someone that could give them something. Whereas the without without the the same kind of compassion and caring for the the other people these bodhisattvas that arise from the under, uh, from the underground who are con deeply concerned about the buddha and they ask him are you tired you know have has it been difficult to teach these people and the buddha says no i'm i'm doing great thanks for asking and so and then he tells the congregation these people will teach 
uh, spread this Lotus Sutra in the 2,000 years and beyond after my, my death. So everybody says, well, where'd they come from? Because we've never seen them. So then we, have, we come to chapter 16, and in chapter 16, the Buddha reveals for the first time that the concept of Buddha is not um, finite, that it is eternal, and that within each person's life exists eternally the condition for enlightenment. That this is not something that you have to bring into yourself, it's something that you awaken from within yourself. To understand that you're a Buddha now, you've always been a Buddha. It's not something that you put on in this lifetime. It's something that you reveal in this lifetime that's existed throughout all eternity. It's not something that you uh, try to change yourself into, but try to change yourself to become what you really are, what you've always been, that you always have had this connection. And this is different from anything that he had taught before and taught before that life that you would have to live lifetime after lifetime after lifetime before you could achieve this. But what he's saying in chapter 16 is that it begins now, it begins here, it's always been here, begin, I mean not begins, but it's always been here and it'll always be here and it's up to you to bring it out of yourself, to manifest it in yourself and that you can do it in this lifetime. So that's a pretty understated way to um, uh, explain the power of, the, of this concept of eternal Buddha. But what the Buddha says in chapter 16 is that um, uh, he says, uh, let's see, no, that's 15, I'm sorry, chapter 16. Um, he says here, uh, it is many hundreds of thousands of billions of trillions of asamkhyas, of kalpas, these are distances of time that represent eternity, since I became a Buddha. Whereas these people thought that he became a Buddha 3,000 years ago in their lifetime, sitting under the Buddha tree. And what he's saying is that, no, I've been a Buddha since the infinite past. For the past innumerable kalpas, I have been expounding the Dharma to many hundreds of millions of living beings in order to live them, lead them to, into the way to Buddhahood. In order to save the people, I, as an expedient, show them nirvana. But in reality, it, it, there is no, it, it, no passing away. I'm always here and I always expound the Dharma. Our life condition of Buddhahood is always here. It's always there. Although I always live here with the people, I disappear from their eyes by, their by my supernatural power. When they, seeming, when they see me seemingly pass away and make offerings to my relics and adore me and admire me and become devout and upright and wish to see me with all their hearts at the cost of their lives, I reappear with my sangha and say to them, I always live here. I shall never be extinct. I show my extinction to you as an expedient. 
Although I never pass away, I also expound the unsurpassed Dharma to the living beings of the other worlds if they respect me and believe me. So he's always doing this. The Buddha we manifest within our life is always there. The trick is, is for us to come to that conclusion and realize it within ourselves, and not think of the Buddha as being something that sat under a tree or someone that sat under a tree and taught some teaching. So, um, it says here, the people think that this world is in great turmoil. Actually, the words is in a great fire and that the end of the, um, the kalpa of destruction is coming. So people think that this world's turmoil and it's strife-ridden and it's evil and perverted and all that other stuff. But in reality, it's peaceful. It's filled with gods and men. The gar- and gardens and forests and stately buildings are adorned with various treasures. Jeweled trees have many flowers. Living beings are enjoying themselves. And the gods are beating heavenly drums, making various kinds of music, and raining mandarava flowers on the great multitude and me. This pure world of mine is indestructible, but the people think it is full of sorrow, fear, and sufferings, and that it will soon burn away. We think that every age. Yeah, and and you know we think, oh woe is me! What a terrible yeah. life I have. Yeah. But but really, what the Buddha is saying is that when you change yourself, then the world around you, your environment changes. We as humans, with our perverted mind, our our misguided thinking. Uh, think that if we just change the environment, then everything will be okay. But but really, that's going about it backwards. Yes, we have to change ourselves first. When we change ourselves, then wherever we are, whether it be a hovel or a mansion, whether it be a pigsty or the Garden of Eden, will be the pure land. But if the condition of our life is in hell, then whether we're in a hovel or a pigsty or whether we're in the Garden of Eden or a mansion, we're going to be in hell. Mm-hmm. And so the Buddha is saying that because you think that way, you're missing the point. You, you're, you're looking at the outside instead of looking at the inside. So... Those who have accumulated merits and who are gentle and upright and who see me living here, expounding the Dharma, I say the duration of my life is immeasurable. To those who see me after a long time, I say it is difficult to see a Buddha. Then he further he says, all of you wise men, have no doubts about this. Remove your doubts. Have no more. My words are true, not false. And then finally he says, I am always thinking, how shall I cause all living beings to enter into the unsurpassed way and quickly become Buddhas? Uh, We often say that the Lotus Sutra is the teaching of equality because in this sutra, for the first time, the Buddha says, you're a Buddha. You're equal to me. Now you have different capacities. You have different nature. But you're a Buddha just like me. So up until this, up until the Lotus Sutra, there was always this division between the disciple and Buddha. There was just the Buddha. But in the Lotus Sutra, what the Buddha says is, no, 
The purpose of all Buddhas is to enable everybody to see their own Buddhahood because everybody is a Buddha. So we say it's the teaching of equality because no longer is it something that the Buddha is up here and we're down here. And what people think it, what I, I always say that, that people miss the point and say, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not like the Buddha. I don't, you know, I, I need to go sit under a tree or I need to be in isolation or, you know, I need to get rid of all my worldly possessions or whatever, whatever, in order to be like the Buddha. But it's not being like the Buddha, it's being as the Buddha was. So the Buddha couldn't program computers. Uh, we used to have an uh, air traffic controller come to the temple. The Buddha couldn't do air traffic control. The Buddha couldn't work at Walmart, didn't work at Walmart. The Buddha didn't run cash registers. What the Buddha is saying is that doing all those things, you can be a Buddha. We don't have to be anything else other than what we are. We just have to bring the Buddha out from within us. And so, so all of that leads up to, I wanted to share that to kind of just set some of the, the story behind the Lotus Sutra. So as I mentioned just a little while ago, the, the Lotus Sutra is, is actually being taught for future generations. For, because he transfers, and we call it, there's actually transmission, where he transmits, he transfers this teaching to these bodhisattvas and says, teach it in the future. You will be the representatives of this teaching in the Saha world 2,000 plus years after I've passed away. And so, from our practice perspective, what, what we try to understand is that, is that this is about me, this is, I'm in here, I'm a part of this, I relate to this. And as we practice, we try to strengthen our understanding of the relationship so that instead of reading this as a 3,000, roughly 3,000 year old historical document about one group of people and another group of people, but read it from the perspective that this is a today document, that I am in here and it is taught for me then and now, and my relationship with the Buddha is, is infinite, that I'm not disconnected, that I'm a, a part of it, and what that means, and further, if I'm, if I'm related to that somehow, then what should I be doing now? And so this tells me what I should be doing. This tells me I should be practicing this. This tells me I should be you know, trying to teach it, to share it. And, and so there's a chapter in here called Transmission. After chapter 16, which is roughly about right here in the book, um, actually the uh, middle of the book is a little bit before this, of the, the first half of the Lotus Sutra is a little bit before that. So the first half of the Lotus Sutra focuses primarily on 
on talking to the folks in the congregation, telling them, okay, at this point you'll attain Buddhahood, you'll attain Buddhahood, you'll attain Buddhahood. Then after, in the second half, it's geared to these people who will be teaching and practicing the Lotus Sutra 2,000 years after the Buddha has passed away. The Lotus Sutra is a very, people ask me, you know, oh, uh, you know, which copy should I get? I'll go start reading it. And it always scares me um, when people say, I'm going to go start reading the Lotus Sutra because you just, you, you really cannot do it on your own. Uh, you, you really can't do it without some guidance, some explanation. That's what was occurring to me as I'm listening to you. It, it, you it, could miss an awful lot. Oh, yeah, because, you know, you read all these chapter after, I mean, you know, it's from, from about here, from about here to here, is, it's just, you know, there's a couple of parables in there, and okay, that's, you can learn something from those parables, but most of it is just, okay, um, you know, 200 lifetimes from now, after you this, you'll become this Buddha and you'll do all these things. And another person, you know, after 500 lifetimes from now, you'll do all these things and you'll become a Buddha. And you're just wondering, okay, what's the point? And so your eyes glaze over and all the names in here and all the people. And you just wonder, what's the point of that? And I, I gave a lecture on just taking out all the predictions of future enlightenment, which people say, well, why do I need that? You know, it doesn't apply to me, but yet it does because the Lotus Sutra is also, I believe, a teaching of hope. And if we look at hope theory, I mean, you know, um, we're 3,000 years beyond and we're just oh so clever minds and we've got all these things all figured out. But, but there are modern scholars and modern psychologists who have developed hope theory and I actually wrote a paper on it for my chaplet work. But one of the things about hope theory is is the creation of a future story. Uh, people who have hope have an ability to create a future story. And so what the Buddha has done for these people who all of a sudden felt that they had no hope. In fact, some of the people, for the last 40 years, the Buddha said, you'll never attain enlightenment because you're, you're, you're just too intellectual. You'll never get it. And in fact, the, the words are, you've scorched the seeds to your enlightenment. Well, if you hear that for 40 years, you're going to say, well, okay, you know, I'll, I'll never attain enlightenment. I'll yeah, keep trying. devastating. But, you know, yeah. yeah. But what the Buddha has done in these predictions of future enlightenment is to create a new future story for those people and also a future story for Buddhism, for us as well that our future story, in a way, the last part of the Lotus Sutra is our future story is understanding our past. For those people in the congregation of the Buddha's lifetime, their future story is understanding the future. And so the Lotus Sutra spans both past and future from this perspective. So, for us, it's knowing what our past was, which then reveals our future. And for those people, it's understanding what their future is, which reveals to them their present, in a way. So we have all of this contained within there. And if you read this, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's only... At, 
It's only after taking a little part here, a little part there, learning from somebody else. I mean, I didn't create all this stuff. I've, you know, learned it from other people, you know, little bits and pieces. Some of it I've parsed together myself. I have my own, you know, opinions, my own ideas, and definitely my own way of explaining it. So, so now we come to the Duranis, okay? There's a lot of stuff that takes place in here before that, but we'll get to the part that you asked specifically about, the Duranis, okay? Um, Duranis are chapter 26. And Duranis uh, basically are... Um, uh, that by which something is sustained or kept. Okay, um, let's see, which one's it? Okay, so this is uh, the current translation, and this was done in 1884. And I uh, never recommend people read this because the English in here is just... <laughs> it's not modern English? No, not at all. Uh, it hasn't been changed at all. But we learned something by going to um, something... Uh, as old as this because actually each of these translations have um, something in it um, uh, that um, the others miss or don't have mm. because everybody has their own way of understanding something. You know, if I say, if I say the word door to you, I haven't really communicated anything. I mean, an image will come to your mind, but, you know, yours might be an ornate wooden door, whereas what I was thinking was a French door. Yes. You know, or, you know, I'm looking at the, your patio door. So, so just, so, so, so that's, you know, sort of what the deal with translations is. And I have to find the chapter because the chapter numbers in this one are different. Um, so, Durrani's are incantations that are given to, um, at, at the towards the end of the Lotus Sutra, and okay, so it's twenty three. No one said he's got different names for them, and so it's really hard to pick them out. But I think it's important. Um, it's twenty seven in here. It's got to be right. Bear with me a second here. Oh, I'm fine. I didn't put a bookmark in it. Um,
actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to another translation because he references it in this one I know um, I should have put bookmarks in it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I have plenty to think about while you're... Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's 25. Doranis. Okay, yeah, here we go. And this one, he, he labels it that. So, so first off, let me um, say that um, as... This is, this is, I think this is Sutil's um, translation. Uh, and, uh, oh, this Kato, uh, Buno Kato, revised by Sutil. Um, and this is, um, this was uh, done in 1971. And, and in here he talks, uh, uh, Dorani's, uh, he says, a spell or talismanic word. Um, and, and there are four kinds of spells, generally speaking. One is to heal disease. Two, to put an end to the consequences of sin. <coughs> Pardon me. Three, to protect the sutra. And four, for wisdom. Okay. <coughs> so, the Dharanis begin with um, uh, Medicine King Bodhisattva, Yakuo Bodhisattva. And Medicine King Bodhisattva has his own little chapter up here, um, and it talks about um, Medicine King Bodhisattva, um, uh, he, he describes the life of Medicine King Bodhisattva and his vow to uh, protect practitioners of the Lotus Sutra. Most of the chapters after chapter 16 are great deities or great persons who pledge to protect people who practice the Lotus Sutra in this so-called defiled age, this age 3,000 years after the Buddha's lifetime, or 2,000 years after. The age, the name given to the, the, the time 2,000 years after the Buddha's lifetime is called the age of degeneration, or uh, this is when the efficacy of Buddhist teachings um, loses their power, they become obscured, um, there are lots of inaccuracies in the teachings. And the Buddha talks about this uh, in, a, in another sutra, you know, that, that after 2,000 years after he dies, uh, the, the expression given is mapo, um, that, or the age of degeneration, that by this time, Buddha's teachings will become so confused, but that this teaching the Lotus Sutra, as he says in the Lotus Sutra, is the teaching for that time. It's going to be difficult to understand and difficult to do. In fact, in chapter, six, in chapter 2, the Buddha says, to Shariputra, the Buddha's wisest person, his smartest disciple. He says, this is difficult to understand. And, but we have to, we have to approach it not from intellect, but from faith. In other words, by first accepting that this 
Lotus Sutra is the appropriate practice for this time, that then we can begin to understand it. So, so these chapters are about different persons offering their protection. But in the Dharanis, Medicine King Bodhisattva um, uh, asks the Buddha, he says, world-honored one, how many merits will be given to the good men or women who keep, read, recite, understand, or copy the Sutra of the Lotus Flower of the Wonderful Dharma, or Lotus Sutra for short? The Buddha said to him, suppose some good men or women make offerings to 800 billion Nayuta, it's a um, Buddhas, it's a, a term of number, and he says that is as many Buddhas as there are sands in the river Ganges. So suppose a person makes offerings to 800 um, billion Nayuta Buddhas, in other words, the sands, Buddhas representing the sands of the river Ganges. What do you think of this? Are there going, are are the merits given to them many or not? And um, so Medicine King Bodhisattva responds, very many, of, you know, and he says, the Buddha said, more merit will be given to the good men or women who keep, read, recite even a single gatha, a gatha is the poem part, of four lines of this sutra, or understand the meaning of it or act according to it. So just upholding or cherishing or trying to understand just even four short lines of this Lotus Sutra will bring more merit than off making offerings to the number of Buddhas represented by the sands of the river Ganges. So he's saying it's that it's pretty intense. <coughs> so... The, the medicine king Bodhisattva then says to the Buddha, I want to protect these people. So I'm going to give some special spells. And then he says, he gives these spells. Ani, mani, mane, mamane, shire, shadite, shamya, shabitai, sente, mokute, mokutabi, Shabi, ai, shabi, sobi, shabi, shae, ashae, agini, sente, shabi, darani, aryokya, basai, hashabishani, nebite, abentara nebite, atandahare shudai, ukure, mukure, arare, harare, Shukyashi, Asanmasambi, Botsudabikirijite, Darumaharishite, Sogyane Kushane, Basha Basha Shudai, Mantara, Mantara Shayata, Urorata, Kyoshara, Ashara, Ashayata, Abaro Amananayataya. Those, each of those was uh, a different spell. Okay? And they are said in different ways. So, um, this is the explanation that, um, that 
Kern gives. That's why I brought this, because I can find it in here <laughs> where I couldn't find it in here. But So this Kern translation done in 1884, he says here, the lists in, the, in Kern are somewhat different. I don't have the Bernhoff translation, but um, I do have the Kern translation. I have uh, six, and, I, and there are seven. The Bernhoff, I don't know if it's even available, except in rare book collections. But Kern says here, all these words are or ought to be feminine words in the vocative. I take them to be epithets of the great mother, nature or earth, uh, differently called Aditi, Prajna, Maya, Bhavatni, or Durga. Anya may be identified with the Vedic Anya, inexhaustible and synonymous with Aditi. More of the other terms may be explained as synonymous with Prajna, with nature, with the earth. According to one of several meanings, uh, Dharma Kar, Dharma Raksha translate them into Chinese and Oka into Japanese. So what all that is saying is that the roots of these words, according to Kern, is the the root of these words is the essence of all the things, all the power in the universe that we have given various names to throughout time. So I, I have a, you know, my, my, my pablum reading um, is, you know, fiction, fantasy, um, uh, you know, magic, magicians, and that kind of stuff, you know, Tolkien, things like that. And one of the things they talk about in there is, you know, especially magicians, is they don't, uh, or mages and things like that, is finding out the true name for something gives you power over it. And so, uh, in order to obscure that power, other names are attached to it so that the person that says that name doesn't have its true power. So what, what Kern is saying is that these words represent the true name of all of these things like Mother Earth or the wind or uh, nature or um, the universe. So all of these words represent the true name in Sanskrit of these things that we have subsequently identified as uh, uh, Shiva or any number of other names that we give, you know, um, the, the great mother earth, you know, we, you know, all kinds of things. So, um, so these words are the essence words. And so Medicine King Bodhisattva gives them, and I, I have to stress this, that these are, these are not incantations that it is believed can be tossed out randomly, the condition for their offering is the relationship of the person 
or the relationship to the Lotus Sutra. That they're not given here for other things. They're, they're given here for people in this age and their relationship with the Lotus Sutra. So, so their power is in the name of the words that are given, but also in the relationship of the person to the Lotus Sutra. And that relationship doesn't have to be much. So someone, you know, to give them to a Christian, say, just randomly tossing that out to a Christian who has absolutely no belief, even considers the Lotus Sutra to be, you know, an abomination or damnable, then these incantations would be inappropriately given and useless. So we have not only the power word, but the connection of the word given to the person and their connection or relationship to the Lotus Sutra. To even just a little phrase of the Lotus Sutra. So, so even just believing in the power of the words is a connection to the Lotus Sutra. So, <laughs> after Medicine King Bodhisattva, um, it comes Brave in Giving Bodhisattva. Oh, uh, Medicine King Bodhisattva then says, World Honored One, these spells or incandations, these Dharanis, these divine spells, have already been uttered by 6,200 million Buddhas. That is, as many Buddhas as there are sands in the river Ganges. Those who attack and abuse this teacher of the Dharma should be considered to have attacked and abused all of those Buddhas. So, the merit is great, the retribution is great. So, then the Buddha says, excellent, excellent, you've given these spells in order to protect the teacher out of your compassion towards him. You will be given many benefits. Uh, you will be able to give many benefits to all living beings. So, my belief is, is that even though I say these spells, the benefit doesn't derive from me saying them, but from Medicine King Bodhisattva giving them to us in the Lotus Sutra. Then Braven giving uh, does the same thing. He gives some spells. Zare, I'll read these a little bit faster. Zare, makazare, ukimoki, are, alahate, neret, nerete, neretate, ichini, ichini, shichini, neretchini, neretchiachi. So he gives, uh, and, and the first list was 43 words. The second list is 13 words. I have, I, uh, for those two lists, I don't have individual meanings for each of those words. Um, it's, it's kind of difficult to get the meanings of some of the words because they're, they're just, I mean, it's not translated anyplace. So you have to ask somebody who may know somebody, something mm -hmm. like that. Okay, so um, brave and giving Bodhisattva does that, and the Buddha praises him, and so on and so forth. Then, Bisha Monten. Um, Bisha Monten, I, th I think Bisha Monten is here. Okay. okay. 
He is, ten means heaven. So he's one of the uh, uh, heavenly guardians. It says here, um, the protector of the world said to Bishamonten, said to the Buddha, um, world honor one, I also will give Duranis. And then he says, Adi Nadi Tonadi Anaro Nabi Kunabi. Six words. Okay. Those six I have. So Adi is wealth in power. Nadi is no threat. Tonadi is firm faith. Ano, uh, anaro, anaro means, uh, let's see, that's one, two, three. Uh, anaro means Buddha compassion unlimited uh, or e equates to. Nabi is, uh, equates to no offense. Uh, no, oh, no one else is wealthier than one who upholds the sutra. And we're not talking monetary wealth, okay? Kunabi is what kind of wealth is better than the Dharma. So no one's more wealthy, but the wealth is the Dharma. All right? So uh, that was from Bishamonten. Then uh, we come to... Um, we come to... Oh, uh, world-holding heavenly king. Um, and... Uh, this, he says, um, again, I will also protect the keeper of this sutra. Okay. Then he says, Akyane, Kyane, Kuri, Kendari, Sendari, Matogi, Joguri, Furo, Shani, Achi. Nine words. Um, so, Akyane is innumerable beings will be saved by the Buddha's teachings. Kyane, so he's giving, giving, the, spe the, the, the person that's being given the spell is given the ability to save innumerable beings. Kyane is the limit, uh, uh, limit differences in, under in understanding. So, <coughs> so to minimize the differences of, in understanding. Okay. Kuri is spread dharma even to the most evil. In other words, giving that person the blessing to be able to spread the dharma to even the most evil people. Uh, kendari. Kendari is holding perfume. And we always say, um, when we, in our invocation, no, in our verses for opening the sutra, verses for opening the sutra, which are praises to the sutra before we begin to read the sutra, um, we always say that, um, I knew I forgot to bring this up, that, uh, that our relationship, we benefit from the Lotus Sutra even if we don't even understand it. Just as something put near by perfume, the, the perfume will make it fragrant, even without touching it, but just put nearby. That, that thing benefits from the fragrance of the perfume. So even our casual connection to the Lotus Sutra yields great benefit. So five is shining star in darkness. Uh, that was, that was Sendari. Um, Matogi, Matogi is, um, 
prayer for evil to be eliminated in the world. Uh, Furoshani is no... um, no, no, to know lives based on the Dharma. Uh, Furoshani, Achi, no. Yeah, Furoshani, I'm sorry. Joguri was to know, know lives based on the Dharma. Yeah, Joguri. Furoshani is expound by following the Buddha's spirit. So we teach by embracing the Buddha's spirit. Of, and the spirit is compassion. And I like to think that the Buddhist spirit is summed up in this phrase, which we read every day, the end of chapter 16, that says, I am always thinking, how shall I cause all living beings to enter into the unsurpassed way and quickly become Buddhas? That's the Buddhist spirit. So, and then finally, Achi. Achi is... The Lotus Sutra is most excellent. <coughs> okay. So now we come to, and I have to diverge a little bit, we come to um, uh, the what we call the Mother of Devils. And she gets a special place in uh, Nichiren Shu temples, Kishimojin, the Mother of Devils. And I have... Where's my, my bag? Okay, so this amulet here that I carry around with me all the time in the hospital and is, has a carving of the mother of all devils. Okay, and let me get this out. It's a little contrary because if you pull on it too tightly, it tightens itself. Okay, so I'll put it back in when I go home because it takes too long. So this is the the mother of devils, Kishimoto. Okay, that's a carving of her. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Kishimoto um, is served many many different functions. Um, but the story behind Kishimojin is that Kishimojin has, uh, in the Lotus Sutra, she's given ten demon daughters. Okay? And they are, um, they are Rakshasas, and they are, the one is Lamba, uh, Vilamba, and then the name is Crooked Teeth, Flower Teeth, Black Teeth, Mini Hairs, mm-hmm. Insatiable, Necklace Holding, Kunti, and Plunder of Energy of All Beings. These are her daughters, okay? And I don't know if... I don't know if he translates so... Okay, so... Uh, in, in this, in the... In the uh, uh, was it Sutil? The, the um, Kato translation, he says here, that um, uh, she is the m- mother of demon sons or children, but she's also called the joyful mother or mother who loves her children. Okay, She is a rakshasa or demon who devoured babies of others every day until her own 500 babies were hidden by Shakyamuni Buddha 
and she was converted. After her conversion, she vowed to protect the Buddha law and especially guard babies. Okay, so the story that's that that sums it up uh, faster than I generally tell the story. The story is is that some versions she has ten, some five hundred, but anyway, she has a lot of a lot of babies. And what she would do is every day she would steal a human baby and then feed that to her children. And so the humans went to the Buddha and said, you know, can you make this stop? I mean, they were a little bit more, you know, emotional than that. But so the Buddha, uh, one day while, while uh, uh, Kishimojin uh, is away, and her Indian name is Hariti, uh, while Kishimojin is away, he takes one of her babies and hides it under his robe. Okay, And when she comes back, she notices that one baby missing and she goes ballistic, berserk, and she's you know all over the place. So then she goes to the Buddha and she says, Buddha, Buddha, one of my babies is missing. And the Buddha, suppose, I mean, I'm you know, putting a lot of words in here, the Buddha's mouth, but the Buddha says, you know, well, you have all these many babies, and you missed that one. Imagine how humans feel, and they can only have one or two, and you take one of theirs. Imagine how it must make them feel. And she's, whoa, it's me, I am so sorry. Uh, please forgive me, I'll never do it again. And from that time, she pledges, anyone who practices the Lotus Sutra, I will protect them. And so she gets a special place in Nichiren Shu temples because of her special uh, uh, vow, her, her special promise to protect practitioners of the Lotus Sutra. In ancient times, she's also, uh, you know, if you go back and all the way back to ancient, ancient times, she is the, um, uh, uh, all of a sudden, um, the, the, um, Fertility, that's the word I'm saying. Oh, okay. For. Okay, she's the goddess of fertility. So I've often wondered about, okay, well, okay, I understand the fertility thing, but what's with the taking of the human babies? And I was attending a lecture once, and it, it, like one day lecture just on Kishimojin. Actually, no, it was two, three day lecture, two and a half day lecture on Kishimojin. Went through slide after slide of all the, the permutations of the, the images and and um, the guy says, in addition to being associated at, you know, in, in ancient history with, with uh, fertility and childbirth, there was also the connection with childhood diseases. Mm -hmm. So, which is kind of interesting. And, you know, in our Western concept, we have a good God and we have a bad God, but we have them separate. We don't generally, you know, put them yeah. together so much. It's not quite so common. But, you know, Hariti or Kishimojin represents both sides, both childbirth and child death. We have both of them in there. So frequently in, uh, in Nichiren Shu temples, um, we, uh, you know, when a, a woman becomes pregnant, then she offers special prayers to Kishimojin for the safe delivery of her baby. And in fact, um, we, as priests, we uh, inscribe a, a sash that goes that the mother, we give to the mother at the fifth month of pregnancy. Um, so, he translates <coughs> the various names of these as 
a red-colored demon, a yellow-colored demon, black-colored demon, blue-colored demon, um, and a, sh a human-shaped demon and a, an ogre-shaped demon. Okay, so different different names for different things. Um, so uh, so anyway, so she has she and her ten in this case her ten um, demon daughters say to the Buddha simultaneously, world-honored one, we also will protect the person who reads, recites, and keeps the Sutra of the Lotus Flower of the Wonderful Dharma so that he may have no trouble. No one shall take advantage of the weak points of this teacher of the Dharma. And then they give these spells, Idebi, Idebin, Idebi, Adebi, Idebi, Debi, 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 Roke, 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 Take, 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 Toke, Toke. Okay? They say to the Buddha, anyone may step on our head, but they shall not trouble this teacher of the Dharma. Neither shall any Yaksha, Raksha, Hungry Spirit, Putana, Kritya, Vedada, Kumban, so any, all of these are just terrible demons, uh, the evil, you know, spirits of the world. Uh, uh, that those will not bother. Neither shall anyone who causes us to suffer from a fever for a day, two days, three days, four days, five days, seven days, or forever. Neither shall anyone who takes the shape of a man, uh, boy or woman or girl, and appears in his dream to cause trouble. So even dreams. Then they sang in gathas before the Buddha in, in hymn or poem. Anyone who does not keep our spells but troubles the expounder of the Dharma shall have his head split into seven pieces, just as the branches of the Ajaka tree are split. Anyone who attacks this teacher of the Dharma will receive the same retribution as to be received by the person who kills his parents or makes sesame oil without taking out worms from the sesame or who deceives others by using wrong measures and scales or by Devadatta who split the Sangha. Devadatta, the, the, the Buddha's cousin who tried to kill the Buddha and who split the Sangha, it is said that he never died. He went from living to straight to hell. And so he is actually on the mandala representing the condition of hell. Okay. The Buddha says to these rakshasas, excellent, excellent, your merits will be immeasurable even when you protect the person of the, the person who keeps only the name of the sutra. Needless to say, will be your merits to protect the person who keeps the sutra itself or makes a copy of this sutra, or hundreds of thousands of offerings, such as flowers, incense, necklace, powder, so on and so forth, and just list a whole big long thing. When the Buddha expounded this chapter of Dharanis, when the Buddha taught this chapter of Dharanis, 68,000 people obtained the truth of birthlessness. Hmm. So just by hearing the teaching of this sutra, and so this phrase, obtain the truth of birthlessness, is tokumusho bonin. So when I do the Dharanis, uh, I, we, we do not say, we, we, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. We 
this whole line here, e day b, e day b, e day b, a day b, e day b, day b, day b, day b, day b, day b, roke, 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 take, 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 toke, toke. And I didn't bring it with me, so I'm going to have to, so we go, day by, day by, den, bada, by, day, 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 so we say, okay, obtain the truth of birthlessness. But we shorten this because we do this in commemoration. Uh, there was a Nichiren Shu priest, I think in the 15th century or so, who constantly chanted the Odaimoku, the sacred title, this Namu Myoho Denge Kyo constantly tied, and he was persecuted, and, and um, so uh, to try to get him to stop, they put um, a, a red-hot cauldron over his head to try and get him to stop. He kept on doing it, even with this cauldron over his head. Then, um, then he wouldn't stop, so then they cut his tongue off. And he continued to, to chant. So instead of going, e day b e day b e day b a day b e day b day b day b day b day b day b day roke 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 take 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 toke toke, we go, e day b e day b e day b den b b day day b day day b torai 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 tokumu shoboni. So we say it kind of as if it was we didn't have a tongue. It's supposed to be kind of like we didn't have a tongue to honor this person who uh, was attacked uh, so uh, ferociously, so viciously, uh, you know, persecuted, and yet he continued to, um, to till, still teach and chant the Odaimoku. So we, we, we altered that part a little bit. So the whole Duranis are ani mani mane mamane shire shari te shamya shabi tai sente mokte boktabi shabi ai shabi sobi shabi shae ashae agini sente shabi dalani alokabasaya shabi shani nebite abentara nebite atandare shudai ukure mukure alare halare shugashi asama sambi bora bigiritite Talamahari shite sogyane kushane basha basha shutai mantalamantal shayata urota urota kyoshara ashara ashayata ya abaro amanyana tayazare bakazare ukiboki are arahate nele tenele tahate chini chini shi chini nele chini nele chiachi aritari tonari anarola bikunabi akiane kiane kuri kendari sendari matogi joguri bulo shani achi day by day by ten barabai that's the whole Duranis. So what we've done is we, we've taken out all of these little these sections, put them all together into one big long incantation called the Duranis. But it all comes from this chapter. So that takes all the mystery away. No, it doesn't. <laughs> so the important thing is is that is is the power of the spell is dependent upon the, the person being connected to the Lotus Sutra in some way, even a small way. And of course, the greater the connection, the greater the effect of the incantations. 
Okay, so I'm going to turn the recording off now. How are you doing that on your iPhone? What, program, what app is it? This is um, Voice Memos. Oh, okay. It should be. I think it's a resident. If it's not, then you can download yeah. it. It was oh, free. Cool. I didn't yeah. know it would go that long. Yeah, it'll go. Yeah. Now so the problem. Wonderful. The problem is, is then not, now it, the only way you can get it off of here is to transfer it from the computer from iTunes to your computer and then do something with it, and then I have to put it through a software to get it to be something that you can listen to on the computer. That it'll translate it into words? No, it won't translate it into words, but it'll make it so that the file that comes off of okay. here, can I can put on the internet, and then you could listen to it from your computer. So, here's Kishimojin, and uh, this is the Odaimoku, Namu Myoho Denge Kyo, okay, down the center here. And then at the bottom, I... Have written my name, and I have Aizen and Fudo. So Aizen and Fudo, uh -huh. Aizen and Fudo do not appear in the Lotus Sutra, and there's some speculation or questioning as to Nietzsche never really said why he put those two characters on it, because everything else on the Lotus Sutra appeared. Actually, Kishimojin and her ten demon daughters are represented right here. Mm -hmm. um, they get kind of their own little special private place on the mandala. So Nietzsche never really said why he put those two on there, or if he did, that has been lost to us. Um, there's a lot of speculation that he did this uh, to bring some of the esoteric aspects of Buddhism into his own practice. Or maybe it was just something that he believed or felt connected to. But um, Aizen and Fudo are, these are ancient, you know, they kind of look a little different mm -hmm. than the other script. Mm -hmm. Here's one little, and here's the other one. They, yeah. they just look different than, than Chinese. And they are. And these are actually the uh, the seed. What the seed characters are. So we don't have really such a concept in English. But but if you reduced everything down to um, its sort of like prime number. Yes. Okay. Uh, this is the root of Aizen and the root of Fudo. They can be written longer, but this is the. The, the heart of it, so the seed character, we say. So Aizen and Fudo are two guardian deities that stand at the gates of hell to protect and rescue practitioners from going to hell, from suffering in hell. So Fudo actually stands at the gate, and Fudo has a lasso that he, you know, sort of like Wonder Woman with this lasso, and pulls people out of hell. Aizen um, has many arms and lots of weapons, and he actually will make excursions into hell to do battle and bring people out if the lasso thing doesn't work. Okay. So they they are they uh, protect uh, people from suffering. So I put that on there. Then these are special prayers that are uh, given by the Buddha and by Medicine King Bodhisattva. So um, it says here that uh, the Buddha says, take it, do not be afraid that it will not cure, um, uh, that it will not cure, and then provide care and comfort and ease suffering. And 
The Buddha says that in chapter 16. So take this good medicine. We always call the Lotus Sutra the good medicine because that's one of the parables in here. So take this good medicine and do not be afraid that it will not cure you. Okay, so don't be afraid that it won't work. Okay, and then Medicine King Bodhisattva says, this sutra is a good medicine for diseases. So these are the things that I carry. Uh, this is what I carry with me when I'm in the hospital, um, you know, going around, walking around, visiting patients, seeing patients in their rooms. So this is my prayer, care and comfort, and to ease suffering. Thank you for sharing that. So, and these are all written by me. The carving wasn't done by me, but you know, my dedication yes. of this of this is that. Very nice, thank you. Okay? Yeah. It gives you a lot to think about. It does. It was an hour and a half long. I didn't but I had it only didn't planned. seem like it. I mean it's very <laughs> There was a lot of stuff that I had to had to explain to kind of get you to get a context. Yeah. 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 So hopefully you have a have some yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not knowing quite how to ask this because I want to respect your time and your commitment. Uh -huh. I, my inner response to what you shared today uh -huh. is it's almost like, oh, okay, now this is, this is something central to what I need to, to be doing mm -hmm. now. And um, I've never had a teacher. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've always, uh, I guess I'm what they call a Vihayana practitioner, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the teachers come in spirit. Mm -hmm. But I am but I had asked for a, a, a teacher. Um, gosh, Well, maybe. you may not have gotten one yet, but, you know, well, we'll, we'll I, figure it out. But, but I'm about to ask. <laughs> about a year ago, I thought, you know, um, my lifetime is marching on. Yeah. And, and I think I need to benefit from... From discourse, uh -huh. and, you know, there's you can make a lot of errors when you're being taught by spirit. You can yeah. hear what you want to hear and, yeah. and all yeah. that stuff. So I guess what I'm going to ask you is, it feels very important to me to have a teacher mm -hmm. and to begin to learn practice, say, mm -hmm. as you would teach it, mm -hmm. not necessarily as I've been doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and is that anything you can take on, or is that an unfair request? It would be paced to whatever your judgment is. Well, or, do you it, know what I'm saying? It'd be paced. It'd be paced to you. Um, I mean, because you know, you're the one that has to determine your own your own progress or your own pace. Um, you know, some people might want to run. Some people might want to walk. Um, but, you know, we have to remember that the uh, tortoise beat the hare. Yes. It's like you cannot force the flow of a river. <laughs> right. Right? Right, right. So, you know, I think the first thing to do, uh, if, if you want to do this, um, you know, just having, just having a welling up of excitement about the Lotus Sutra, is a pretty powerful thing, and and we should never underestimate the the power of just wow. That was you know, I feel excited, even if it seems to fade several days later, or by this afternoon, or you know maybe you know, um, 
the Buddha talks about in the Lotus Sutra the, the benefit of 50 removed. And he, 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 he talks about that, okay, so if, you know, the old telephone game that you play in kindergarten, you know, that this person tells this person oh, something yeah. and then, then that person tells the next person and so on and so forth. So the Buddha says that the person who says something good, not, not teaching the Lotus Sutra, but just says something good about the Lotus Sutra, will turn, oops, I don't want What is it? Oh, wait.